0: You're listening to the Mensrea podcast. And this is the story of Gary and Norma Cotter. Middleton is a market town located in southeast Cork, just a 25 minute drive from Cork city centre. The area is renowned for its rich food and drink heritage, and despite being a bustling culinary and commercial hub, the region has retained a small town appeal. This, combined with its close proximity to the city, makes Middleton a popular place to settle down, and during the early to mid 90s, the area was seeing huge growth. One such family who planted their roots in Middleton were Gary and Norma Cotter, who had both been born and reared in the locality. The couple had become romantically involved during the summer of 1988, and despite a 12-year age gap between them, they seemed to hit it off, getting engaged in 1989 when Gary was 34 and Norma was 22. Around this time, Gary also received a £15,000 compensation claim from a motorbike crash he had been involved in, and the Cotters used this lump sum as a deposit on their house in Broomfield West, which they moved into following their wedding in February of 1991. Their son Christopher was born in 1992, and in the years following his arrival, Norma and Gary settled into life as parents with ease, with Gary in particular idolising his son. However, this picture of domestic bliss was about to be shattered in the darkest way possible. At ten past five on the morning of January 3rd, 1995, Anne Dean awoke to furious banging on her front door. Alarmed by the commotion and the early hour, she flew from her bed and ran down the stairs to find her neighbour, 28-year-old Norma Cotter, standing on the doorstep in her nightdress and coat, holding a smoking shotgun. Norma was hysterical and crying, begging Anne for help. Norma told her bewildered neighbour, I'm after shooting Gary. According to Cotter, her husband Gary had been quote nagging her, so she went downstairs to retrieve the gun that he kept in the kitchen, taking it back upstairs with her. Gary was in bed with his back to her and as she stood in the doorway of the bedroom, Norma discharged the weapon, firing a shot into her husband's back. Horrified at the admissions her neighbour was making, Anne Dean rang 999 to summon Gardee in an ambulance, and the emergency services quickly arrived in Broomfield West. The gun was confiscated from Norma Cotter's possession and was placed in the boot of one of the attending squad cars for safekeeping. Unfortunately, 40-year-old Gary Cotter was pronounced dead at the scene, and Gardee sealed off the two-storey house as a full murder investigation was launched. Detective Garda Michael O'Sullivan arrived at the house at half-past five, where he found Norma being comforted by neighbours. She was still extremely upset as she related her story to the detective, telling him that her husband kept nagging her so she shot him. Detective O'Sullivan went to the bedroom where he found Gary Cotter's body slumped between the double bed and a wardrobe, with his head leaning against a bedside table. The door of the wardrobe had signs of significant damage and there was a strong smell of gunpowder in the room. There were women's clothes discarded on the bed and the sheets were smeared with blood and vomit. In the kitchen downstairs, officers noted a vomit-soiled pillowcase and a basket of dirty laundry near the washing machine. Detective Garda Patrick Murphy arrived to assist his colleagues at 6.45am and he removed the shotgun, which was legally owned by Gary Cotter, from the boot of the patrol car, reinstating it in the kitchen of the Cotters' home. At 7am, Norma Cotter was arrested and taken to Middleton Garda Station for questioning. Garda Jared O'Donoghue, who was on duty as station orderly, booked her in, giving her notice of her rights. Garda O'Donoghue noted that Cotter was distressed, and that she smelled strongly of alcohol. Upon telling Cotter that she was entitled to a solicitor, she responded, quote, What would I need a solicitor for? Sure, I shot him in the back. Garda O'Donoghue then cautioned Cotter, and arranged for a solicitor to come to the station. As they waited for her legal counsel to arrive, Norma's father, Jerry O'Driscoll, turned up and was allowed to speak to his daughter, who was still highly emotional. He put his arms around her to comfort her and she began to weep loudly. Jerry asked her why she had shot her husband and Norma said that Gary kept nagging her so she'd shot him. Gary, she said, had been arguing with her about collecting their son, Christopher, who was spending the night at his grandparents' house. Gary wanted Norma to collect him there and then, but she wanted to wait until later in the morning. Norma said she shot him and she continued to weep as she repeated over and over that she was sorry. Gardie took Norma to an interview room and although her solicitor hadn't yet arrived, she agreed to be questioned. She began to detail the events of the previous night to the officers. As a corporal in the Irish Army, Gary Cotter was attached to the 4th Infantry Battalion at Collins Barracks in Cork. And part of his duties required him to do shifts, standing guard at Portleach Prison. On the evening of January second, he had come home from Portleach for a three-day break. Norma's parents were due to look after their two-year-old son, so that she and Gary could have a night out. They had spent the evening with friends in a pub on Middleton's Main Street before continuing on to a disco at a local hotel. Gary had gone home at around 1:20 a.m., saying he was tired, while Norma stayed on at the disco with their friends. She left the hotel once the disco finished and got a lift back to the house of a friend named Rose Fenton for a party, stopping at her own house on the way to pick up a bottle of vodka and a flagon of cider to bring with her. Norma told Gardee that she had returned home from Rose's house at 4am and though she didn't remember getting undressed or going to bed, she recalled being in bed and talking with her husband. Gary began to argue with her about collecting their son and she kept telling him that it was only 5am and that he should go back to sleep. At this point Norma said she started to feel sick but Gary had his leg locked over hers in bed so she couldn't get up and instead she vomited on the side of the bed and the floor. This infuriated Gary and he kicked her out of bed while roaring and screaming at her. Norma said she had cleaned up the mess with a pillowcase and went downstairs to put the soiled cover in the wash pile. When she went back upstairs, she claimed she had gone to bed in the spare room, but that Gary continued to shout at her and berate her. Norma said she knew there was a shotgun in the wardrobe in their bedroom, but that Gary had removed a part from it, so it didn't work. Instead, she said, she went downstairs to the kitchen and took down the gun that was on the top of the cabinets. She told the officers that she had purchased the shotgun for £500 from a local firearms dealer and had given it to Gary for Christmas, as he was a keen hunter. After retrieving it from its storage place she loaded the cartridges into the barrel and went back upstairs. Norma continued quote, I pulled the trigger when I shot him he just sort of jumped up this way and said oh Jesus Christ I saw the blood and ran I didn't mean to do it I just wanted to frighten him. She told investigators that she wasn't sober at the time but she wasn't quote, flaming and lamented that if she had been sober she wouldn't have done what she did. Norma maintained that she had only wanted to frighten Gary and that she had no intention of hurting him. On inspection at the station, Gardee noticed two bruises on Norma's body, both of which she claimed had been caused by Gary. Her husband, she said, would become physically aggressive when he had whiskey taken and a few nights previous he had pushed her and she had fallen against a wooden cot. The second bruise was caused a week earlier under similar circumstances when she alleged Gary pushed her into the Christmas tree. When asked if their marriage was a happy one, Norma told the officers that it was, quote, "...not brilliant, but you could live with it." Norma's solicitor arrived 20 minutes into her interview and brought the questioning to a halt. After some consultation, Cotter gave a written statement in which she said she did not want to make any further statements on the matter. She was later released without charge and Superintendent Vincent Riley, who was heading the murder investigation, told the press during a briefing that a file would be sent to the DPP in relation to the case. The file would be sent as soon as possible and any charging decisions would then rest with the DPP. However, the Superintendent was keen to stress that the investigation was in its infancy and that all avenues would be fully investigated. He said there were still a lot of inquiries to be made before the Garda file in the case would be completed. Meanwhile, forensic experts from the Garda Technical Bureau travelled from Dublin to process the scene, spending a considerable amount of time examining the bedroom in which the body was found. State pathologist Dr John Harbison also travelled to Middleton to carry out a preliminary examination of Gary Cotter's body before it was removed to Our Lady of Lords Hospital in Middleton for a full post-mortem. Dr Harbison ultimately determined the cause of death as the result of a single shotgun wound to the chest. Gaging the location and trajectory of the injury, the pathologist established that when shot, Gary Cotter was turning away from the gun that was fired at him, and that he was stooping forward at the time. Continuing their investigation, Gardy conducted house-to-house inquiries in the Broomfield area, keen to get a sense of the Cotter's relationship from the people that knew them. Gary's death shocked the local community who knew him as a doting father with a quiet manner bordering on shy at times. Friends who had been socialising with the couple on the night of the shooting were equally surprised as they said that the couple were in the best of form and were clearly enjoying their night out together. On Friday, January 5th, Gary Cotter was buried with full military honours following a Requiem Mass at the Church of the Most Holy Rosary in Middleton. Norma Cotter attended the service, spending much of it inconsolable as her parents comforted her. More than a thousand mourners were present at the removal. Gary's coffin was draped with a tricolour and his comrades formed a military guard of honour as members of the military police acted as pallbearers. The funeral was attended by senior members of Angarda Shiacana, along with representatives from the Aractus and many other local organisations in Middleton. Full military honours were recorded, with a firing party discharging shots over the grave as army trumpeters sounded the last post. Eleven months later, Norma Cotter was charged with the murder of her husband and was later released on bail to await trial. Norma Cotter's trial opened at the Central Criminal Court in Dublin on October 21st 1996, with Mr Justice Vivian Lavin presiding. In his opening statement on behalf of the DPP, Mr. Michael Feehan, senior counsel, told the court that the killing of Corporal Gary Cotter was, quote, a tragic and sad case. He informed the jury that they would hear how Norma Cotter had shot her husband in the back as he lay in bed in the early hours of January 3, 1995, killing him. The issue for the jury, he said, was to determine whether Norma Cotter was guilty of murder or of manslaughter. Mr. Feehan outlined the background of the case to the court, detailing how Gary Cotter had served with the Defence Forces in Lebanon and had only returned to Ireland in recent months following his latest tour. The jury heard that the day before the shooting incident, the soldier was doing active guard duty at Portleesh Prison and had arrived back in Middleton that evening once his shift ended. Because Norma Cotter had arranged for her parents to look after their two year old, the couple decided that they would go out for the evening and they went to a pub in Middleton. Over the course of the night, the Cotters met some friends, and they went from one pub to another. Gary had eight or nine pints of stout, along with a whiskey, while Norma had five or six pints of cider. Mr Fien told the court that although drink was a cause for consideration in the case, it was not a huge factor. The group had gone to a disco, but Gary decided to go home just after 1am as he was tired. Norma, on the other hand, had stayed out, and when the disco finished, she got a lift back to her friend's house for a party, stopping at her own home on the way to pick up more alcohol. Norma eventually went home to her husband at 4am and by 5am she was banging on a neighbor's door with a smoking shotgun in her hand, crying hysterically that she had shot him. The shooting, said the senior counsel, was carried out at a range of no more than two paces and two shots were fired. It would be up to the jury to decide whether or not the shots were fired, with premeditation or intent. The first witness to give evidence in the trial was Sergeant Sean Donovan, who was on duty at Middleton Garda Station when Cotter was brought in for questioning. Sergeant Donovan said that Cotter told Gardy that when her husband came home from duty at Portleash Prison, he didn't want to do anything except drink for his three days off. She said that leading up to the shooting there had been an argument over who would collect their son, and that Gary kept nagging her about it. The fight culminated in Norma going downstairs for the shotgun, before coming back to the bedroom and firing one shot. According to Sergeant Donovan, Norma Cotter said that she hadn't intended on killing Gary. She told him, quote, I got the gun and I shot him. I didn't mean to. The sergeant described overhearing Cotter's conversation with her father, Jerry O'Driscoll, when he arrived at the Garda station that morning, where Norma told him that she shot her husband because he kept nagging her. Norma then started to give a statement to Gardee, despite the fact her solicitor hadn't arrived yet, but Sergeant Donovan told the court that this interview was later paused when her legal counsel arrived, And after some consultation, Norma Cotter had eventually given a written statement to officers. Giving evidence next was Anne Dean, who told the court how she had been woken suddenly just after 5 a.m. on the morning in question by a loud banging on her front door. She recalled running downstairs to find Norma Cotter outside in a hysterical state, dressed only in a nightdress, socks, and coat. She was holding a smoking shotgun and rambling that she had shot Gary because he kept nagging her all night. According to Mrs. Dean, Cotter had described how she went downstairs for the gun, came back up and then shot Gary in the back as she stood in the bedroom doorway. The next witness called was Noel Howard, who had been in the company of the Cotters in a pub on Main Street on the night of January 2nd. They were having a pleasant evening and everyone was in good spirits. Mr. Howard told Michael Feehan's senior counsel that he'd bought a whisky for Gary, but that Norma had objected to this, saying, quote, that's an old black eye for me. Don't give him that. Norma's friend Rose Fenton described the evening's events in a similar fashion, telling the court how they had gotten a lift back to her house after the disco. Under cross-examination from defense counsel, Mr. Barry White, Miss Fenton was asked about any previous knowledge of domestic disharmony or violence in the Cotter's marriage. She told Mr. White that she vaguely recalled an incident in 1992 when Norma Cotter had called on her for assistance. Rose testified that, as she recalled it, Norma had been quite upset. The incident had occurred five years before. The witness had found Gary in the kitchen holding a gun and said that he had handed it to her. Miss Fenton said that she had never witnessed any physical altercations between the cotters, but she agreed with Mr White that Norma had confided in her from time to time about arguments she had had with Gary. Dr. John Harbison took the stand next, telling the jury that he examined the body of Gary Cotter in the main bedroom of the house at Broomfield West. It was partly covered by a duvet, and in this duvet, the pathologist said he found a hole where the gunshot had passed through. He described the gunshot wound that he found in Gary Cotter's chest, saying that it was two and three quarter inches from top to bottom and one and a half inches wide. Dr. Harbison said that he also found evidence of a second gunshot which had hit a wardrobe in the room, causing a large amount of damage to the door. The pathologist described the findings of the post-mortem, noting that Gary Cotter was a fit and healthy man. The jury heard that the cause of death was found to be shock and hemorrhage as a result of the shotgun wound to his chest, which had lacerated his right lung and liver. Upon examination, the gun appeared to have been shot from behind Gary Cotter at a range of two to three yards. Detailing the toxicology report, Dr Harbison said that Gary's blood alcohol concentration was three times the legal limit for driving. On the second day of the trial, Garda Margaret O'Connell gave evidence of an interview conducted with Norma Cotter following her arrest on January 3rd. Garda O'Connell said that she had made note of two bruises on Norma's body and that Cotter had told her that Gary would push her when he had whiskey on him. According to Cotter, the bruises came from two separate pushing incidents that had occurred over the course of the previous week. Garda O'Connell then detailed the rest of Cotter's statement to the jury, recalling how Cotter had later said that she missed her husband and that they had had a good time together. The guard went on to tell Michael Feehan how she had taken a statement from a friend of Norma Cotter's following the death of Gary. This statement was read out in court, and detailed an incident that had happened in April 1994, just after Gary Cotter had returned from his most recent tour in Lebanon. The friend had been visiting the Cotters when Norma had pulled up her shirt and down her trousers, revealing noticeable bruises on her thigh, back and right arm. She said that she had been fighting with her husband and he had caused the bruises. The friend told Garda O'Connell that Gary Cotter had apologised and that he said he didn't remember hitting Norma. In the statement, the woman said she genuinely believed that the Cotters were happy and that she didn't see Gary as, quote, the bully type. She said that Gary had later told her that after a night out, himself and Norma would often argue over who was going to collect their child, but then they would always go and pick him up together regardless. During Garda O'Connell's evidence in the courtroom, Norma Cotter, who was seated at the defence table, became very emotional, crying openly and wiping her face and eyes with a white handkerchief. Next to give evidence was Detective Garda Patrick Murphy. He was the officer who moved the shotgun from the patrol car to the house in the aftermath of the shooting. He recalled how Norma Cotter had told him she had paid £500 for the shotgun and had given it to Gary as a Christmas gift nine days before. She also spoke about how she had gone down to get the shotgun after arguing with Gary, insisting that she had only fired the gun once. Detective Murphy said that he had not cautioned Norma Cotter at the time and that he had not made any notes of what she said. Ballistics evidence was heard from Detective Garda Eugene Gilligan, who was attached to the ballistics section of Garda headquarters. It was his opinion that the damage caused to the door of the wardrobe in the Cotter's bedroom was as a result of a shotgun blast. Detective Gilligan informed the Prosecution counsel that he had removed the shotgun and shotgun cartridges from the home after his examination of the scene. The gun itself was found to be in excellent condition and the trigger pressures were within normal limits. He said that one pull of the trigger would not discharge both shotgun barrels and that the trigger would have to be pulled twice to achieve that. The ballistics expert told the court that he had found two spent shotgun cartridges which he said were discharged from the two gun barrels, but there was no way of telling which was discharged first. He then described to the jury how, in order to fire the weapon, a person would have to open it, load the cartridges in the breech, close the weapon, take off the safety catch, and then pull the trigger. Under cross-examination from Barry White defending, Detective Gilligan said that the cartridges found were known as Number 6 cartridges, which were commonly used in hunting of duck and wild birds. He said that it was not possible to determine whether the shot that struck Gary Cotter was the first or second shot that was fired from the shotgun. He agreed with the defense counsel that once the first shot is fired, the recoil force cocks the weapon for a second shot. There would be a strong kick from the gun, and it would fly backwards if held incorrectly. Mr. White suggested that if a person discharged one shot and then panicked, in theory, it would be easy for them to discharge the second barrel accidentally as the gun would be cocked automatically. Detective Gilligan agreed that it was a possibility, and that only a very slight movement of the index finger would be required to dislodge the trigger october twenty third was the most dramatic day of the trial with Norma Cotter taking the stand in her own defense. She sobbed continuously as she gave her evidence, repeatedly wiping at her eyes with a handkerchief. Norma recounted the events of January 2nd in her own words. By that point, the jury were familiar with the tale, which had been relayed to them by various sources over the previous three days. Norma admitted that she was the one who discharged the shotgun. However, she insisted through tears that she had no intention of killing or harming her husband. Cotter told the court that she had a lot to drink over the course of the night and that by the time she got home at 4am she was very drunk. She couldn't remember getting home or undressing, but she did recall lying in bed with Gary and arguing with him about collecting their son. According to Norma, Gary got, quote, quite saucy and kept telling her to go and get the child. She started to feel queasy, but Gary put his leg across hers and would not move it, and as a result she could only lean over as she got sick over the side of the bed and onto the floor. Cotter told the court that her husband then physically kicked her out of the bed, and she had gotten a pillowcase to clean up the vomit. Gary continued to scream at her about collecting their son as she went downstairs to put the pillowcase in the wash basket. When she came back upstairs, Norma said that she went into the bed in the spare room, but Gary was still roaring. She claimed that she didn't recall going downstairs for the gun, but accepted that this was what had happened. The next thing Norma remembered was being upstairs with the gun. She wept as she testified, quote, I wanted Gary to leave me alone. I just wanted him to stop roaring at me and hitting me. All I wanted to do was go to bed and he wouldn't leave me. She had been facing Gary in the wardrobe and remembered the bang that the gun had made when she pulled the trigger. Norma admitted she pulled the trigger of the gun once, but she didn't recall a second shot going off. Cotter told the jury that she didn't know how to hold a gun, but she thought that she had held it down by her side. Sobbing, she recalled the moment she realized that her husband had been shot, saying, The room was dark and I think he jumped up or forward, but I'm not sure. Norma then ran to Andine's house to get help. She told the jury that she wanted to get help for Gary because she didn't want to hurt him. Recalling her arrest, Norma said that she was shocked and crying and that she didn't understand what had happened. At the station, she tried to answer the officers' questions as best she could, but they kept repeating the same questions, and Norma said she couldn't understand what they were saying. Speaking about her marriage, Norma Cotter said that her husband was a lovely man when he was sober. In an article published in the Irish Examiner, journalist Mary Carolyn wrote how Cotter's voice caught in her throat as she explained to the court how Gary's mood was affected when he drank. She testified, quote, he got quite violent when he drank whiskey but most of the time he was grand. She claimed that at times Gary would go on drinking binges and that on the night of the shooting he had been drinking whiskey. Norma recounted a previous incident that had occurred in January of 1992 when she was pregnant with their son. Gary had come home drunk and Norma got out of bed and went downstairs to him. He was belligerent and argumentative, but eventually started to fall asleep. Norma brought him upstairs to bed, but he woke up and made a move to hit her. In self-defence Norma claimed that she had pushed him and as a result he hit his head. A furious Gary got back up and went downstairs shouting and roaring. Norma followed him and by the time she got down to the kitchen he was standing there pointing a gun at her. She had summoned her friend Rose Fenton who came in and took the gun from Gary. This was the same incident that Miss Fenton claimed to vaguely recall during her own evidence. Following the birth of their son, Norma said that Gary had quote cooled down a lot and then he went on overseas duty from November 1993 to April 1994. During cross-examination by prosecuting counsel Barrister Fergal Foley, Cotter said that she didn't know if her husband was an alcoholic and that she never thought of seeking help for him. She told the court that her husband would go shooting for fun and that he had owned a gun when they got married. Norma said she hadn't much experience in handling the weapon and had never cleaned it or gone shooting with Gary. Mr. Foley asked Norma about what she had told Gardy after her arrest, and, in particular, her choice of words when recounting the argument the couple had in bed in the early hours of January 3rd. The prosecutor said that she had told Gardy that Gary had pushed her, but when she described the incident in court, Norma had insisted that her husband had kicked her. Cotter responded by saying that she had tried, to the best of her ability, to be truthful and accurate when answering the questions put to her by Gardie. She said that Gary had, quote, pushed her with his leg, and that investigators had not asked her how she was pushed, so this accounted for the discrepancy. With this, Norma Cotter's evidence concluded, putting an end to an emotionally fraught day on the stand. In his closing speech to the jury, Fergal Foley produced a shotgun demonstrating step by step the conscious process that Norma Cotter had to go through to fire it. She would have had to open the gun, load the cartridges in the breech, close the weapon, take off the safety catch and then pull the trigger. Mr Foley said that there was no issue of provocation, self-defence or accident in the case. Gary Cotter had been shot in the back while in bed and therefore the jury could conclude beyond a reasonable doubt that Norma Cotter had murdered her husband drunkenness was not an excuse. Barry White, defending, told the jury that the Cotter's marriage had had its ups and downs. Gary Cotter liked a drink, but certain drinks did not agree with him. On the night of the shooting, Mr White said that Norma Cotter had consumed a lot of alcohol, and although he was not suggesting it offered a defence, the senior counsel said that it did have an impact on his client's state of mind. He said that Norma Cotter had no experience with guns and he suggested that the gun may have been left loaded by her husband. Addressing the issue of the number of shots fired, Mr White had an explanation for why Norma Cotter only recalled one shot. He said that the first shot could have happened when she aimed the gun at the wall, and when it discharged, she panicked and a second shot was accidentally released, hitting Gary Cotter. Mr Cotter had undoubtedly died at the hands of his wife, but she was adamant that she did not intend to injure or kill him. Barry White said that Norma Cotter was quote no murderess and that the correct verdict was not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter. Mr Justice Lavin charged the jury of six men and six women telling them that they could return one of two verdicts guilty of murder or not guilty of murder but guilty of manslaughter. The jury then retired to consider their verdict They deliberated for two hours before going back to Justice Lavin to request the testimony of Norma Cotter, Rose Fenton and Anne Dean. This testimony was read to them the following morning and they resumed their deliberations at lunchtime. At 20 to 6 that evening they told the judge that they had reached a majority decision and Norma Cotter was brought back to the court, red-eyed. The foreman read out the verdict saying it was a 10 to 2 decision, finding Norma Cotter guilty of murder. On hearing this, Cotter broke down, slumping back in her seat as she sobbed uncontrollably. Mr Justice Lavin then asked Norma to stand, saying, quote, Norma Cotter, you have been found guilty on the first count, namely that you did murder Gary Cotter on January 3rd, 1995. He told her that he had a duty to impose the mandatory sentence of imprisonment for life. Norma Cotter's father, Jerry, leaned over his seat and put his arms around his daughter as she wept inconsolably and her brother also took her hand in support. Supporters and relatives of Gary Cotter stood quietly at the back of the court as the sentence was handed down. They later spoke to Aileen Quinlan, writing for the examiner, telling her that they bore no malice to Norma Cotter and that they were quote, concentrating on doing the very best they can for Gary's son, who is now facing life without his father and many years without his mother. Following Cotter's conviction, an article appeared in the Evening Echo suggesting that Norma was known locally to have a violent streak, having previously hit a man over the head with a bottle after he made a comment to her in a Middleton pub, but no charges had ever been brought in relation to this alleged assault. In 1999, after spending almost three years in prison for the murder of her husband, Cotter launched an appeal against her conviction. Reporting for the Irish Independent, John Maddock wrote that the basis for the appeal was a claim by Norma Cotter's legal team, that the trial judge, Mr Justice Lavin, had erred in his charge to the jury. Before they began their deliberations, the judge had told the panel of six men and six women that there was an onus on Cotter to satisfy them as to the truth of her evidence. However, this statement was not accurate, as the burden of proof always falls to the prosecution. The three appeal judges found that the original trial judge had erred in placing the onus on Norma Cotter to satisfy the jury, and they found that this statement from Justice Lavin had likely weighed heavily on the minds of the jury as they deliberated. As a result of this oversight, Cotter's conviction was overturned by the Court of Criminal Appeal and a retrial was ordered. Norma Cotter was released on bail pending a new trial, and she returned to pick up her life in Middleton where she left off, living in Broomfield West. She got a job waitressing in a restaurant and, in the lead-up to the retrial, she gave birth to a daughter, though the relationship with the baby's father didn't last. The retrial was scheduled for December 2003 and Cotter again pleaded not guilty to the murder of Gary Cotter. A jury was sworn in, but just before the proceedings opened, Norma Cotter changed her plea to guilty of manslaughter and this was accepted by the prosecution avoiding the necessity of the trial. She returned to court for sentencing the following week and was handed down a three and a half year term for the manslaughter of her husband. However Mr Justice Persh deemed that Norma had served her time awaiting trial and so she was spared any further jail time. In sentencing the judge said that there were quote times when the court's punishment must be tempered with some mercy and compassion. Justice Pert went on to say that although it had been suggested that Gary Cotter sometimes became aggressive towards his wife when drunk, the evidence offered fell far short of what was required for him to find a pattern of violent abuse that would deem it acceptable provocation for the shooting. However, he justified the brevity of the sentence, saying that the heinous and tragic killing was mitigated by Cotter's guilty plea and the fact that it was her first offense. He also took into consideration Cotter's young son and infant daughter who would have nobody else to care for them if she were incarcerated. Concluding the hearing, he said, quote, The events of that night would have left scars on many people, and I don't forget its effect on Gary Cotter's family and friends. However, Gary Cotter's family and friends didn't see the situation in the same light as Mr Justice Persh, Infuriated by the fact that Norma Cotter had walked free from court after serving less than three years for killing Gary, his brother David spoke to Anne Mooney of the Irish Mirror. During the interview, David expressed his heartache that Norma Cotter had been freed and that his brother's legacy and reputation was in ruins. David told the reporter, quote, He was portrayed as a wife-beater and an alcoholic, but he was none of those things. He was a real gentle soul who would do anything for anyone. David recalled how Gary was always helping neighbours and had a special fondness for elderly people in the community who he would do chores and DIY for said that even then nine years removed from gary's murder they were still grieving for him their brother had been well liked and well respected by anyone who met him referring to the accusations of domestic violence david told mooney that nobody in their family had noticed anything amiss Quote, he liked his pints of guinness and we never saw any signs that he was abusing his wife we are determined to defend his good name david's wife Gillian also had strong feelings on the subject saying that Norma had branded Gary as an alcoholic and a wife-beater, but in fact he had been neither. Gillian said she'd known Norma for a long time and it was her opinion that the woman was brazen and didn't care about the impact of her actions. On the other hand, Gillian regarded her brother-in-law highly and praised him for his work ethic. She said, quote, He was always a great army man. He was spick and span and took great pride in his work, which he loved. He bought the house, which was in bad condition, and spent all his spare time doing it up. Gillian went on to express her anger at Norma's sentence, saying that it sent the wrong impression to women who are in unhappy relationships. Quote, it seems to say that if you kill your husband or a partner, you will get a short jail term. Now she is able to enjoy the fruits of his labor while he lies in the grave. She is a free woman now, after shooting him. Gillian's impression of Norma Cotter was not based solely on the killing of her brother in law. She too had been a victim of the woman's alleged viciousness a number of years previously when she said Cotter had attacked her in a pub toilet. The incident had occurred in August of 2001 while Norma was on bail awaiting retrial. The two women had crossed paths in a bar in Middleton and Gillian claimed that Norma followed her into the pub toilet and started a row with her. According to Gillian, Norma had grabbed her arm and bit her. A friend of Norma's had intervened and got between them to break it up. Gillian revealed that afterward she had gone to have blood tests done because she didn't know whether Norma had quote-unquote picked something up in jail. The article stated that Norma Cotter was convicted of the assault on Gillian in Middleton District Court and was sentenced to 14 days in prison. Gillian said that at the time of publishing, she still had the marks on her arm from the bite. David said that the ongoing pain and suffering for their family was compounded by the fact that Gary's killer was back living in their midst, getting on with her life. Middleton is a small place. It's impossible to avoid people, so we're going to have to live with meeting her on a regular basis. She lives on the same road, so it's going to be very hard to cope. We have to live with the fact that Gary's life was only worth the two and a half years she spent in prison. The only thing we can do is try to accept what happened and get on with our lives. Thank you for listening to Mens Rea, a true crime podcast. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at mensreapod, or you can send an email to mensreapod at gmail.com. This podcast is made possible in part from generous donations by supporters on Patreon. Patrons get ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, nifty merch, and of course, my unending thanks and undying love. Please do check it out at patreon.com forward slash Pod. Our theme music is Quinn's song The Dance Begins by Kevin MacLeod. Additional music is by Juanita Meisel and Kevin MacLeod. This week's episode was researched and written by the amazing Alien Spearin. Additional writing and production was by me, your host Sinead. All sources for today's episode can be found in the show notes or on our website, www.mensreapod.com. And so, till next time, don't do anything I wouldn't do. and praised him for his work, for his worth, for his work, for his work ethic, work ethic, and praised him for his work, work ethic. She said, quote,